0: You're listening to a podcast of Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, where our mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. The uh, mission of Red Sea is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. We a primary venue that we uh, draw to crisis here at the gathering on Sunday, but our deploy to culture is thinking about St John 's and Portland, but it 's also to think about in an honor and in respect and in an obedience to the word to reach the uttermost parts of the world and part of that is uh, we 've had different people go to other parts, for example, the, the Garmin's and others from Red Sea went to Ventura, California, not quite the uttermost parts of the world but but for some of us it might be, um, and then uh, we've, we've talked about getting behind and we are trying to get behind Africa New Life and reaching the people in Africa and building up the church there. But also one of our own, uh, a family of our own, the Kurs are heading to uh, Spain. They feel the God calling them. They've hooked up with Pioneer and some other missionary mission organizations. And today, actually, they're over in Spain. Uh, they're on a 10-day uh, reconnaissance trip, I guess. That's not the word they use, but that's what they're doing. They're, they're there to get a feel for the community they're going to be a part of, meet some of the Basque people, uh, get to know the area. And so I want to just, before we begin time and a word, I just want to pray for them because they're on mission, just like we're on mission here uh with red sea they're on mission for, and and we're with them we want them not just to be sent from us we want them to be an extension of what we do here so let's let's pray for them then I'm going to pray for the word then we're going to look into the word heavenly father we thank you for you calling us to yourself that you are a sending god that you are a god who loves and out of that love sends and your word tells us that you love the world uh, in a such a way that you sent your one and only son, uh, that he would die for us, and that whoever would believe in him and respond in repentance and faith uh, would be have eternal life and be called children of God. Lord, that's a promise for us in this room. It's a promise for people in St. John's and Portland and Ventura and Africa and even Spain and the Basque people, uh, a hard-to-reach people culturally and and um, in in many different ways and right now lord we ask you to be with the curse billy and tara and their kids and we ask you that that you give them insight you give them wisdom you give them connections uh, you help them to understand how they can best prepare for the thing that you have called them to you've called them to to give up much of what they have here and just to go over there and to invest their lives in a community that is strange to them in many ways. It will be hard work and sacrifice in many ways, but it is a calling that you've put on them. And Lord, we believe a calling that you've put on us as Red Sea because they're an extension of us. Lord, I pray that you give them that wisdom, but I also ask that you be with Billy and Tara, that they can be refreshed, they can enjoy being there. They can relax and rest, though it's hard work. It also can be revitalizing and strengthening to them. And we just ask that, um, that you do that for them in your name. Lord, as we're here gathering in your name uh, to hear your word, that we would draw to Christ. That Lord, you would draw us closer to yourself as we are challenged by your word, as we hear the truth of your word, we ask that your spirit would work it into our hearts and minds. If we uh, are distracted by other things in life, I pray that you would help us to focus as we are maybe even defensive to some of the things that will be said. I pray that your Holy Spirit would just work gently yet decisively in our defensiveness to draw us closer to yourself. We thank you, Lord, for this time. We thank you for the privilege we have in this country to gather freely without fear, without repercussions of that, and uh, let us not only enjoy that privilege, but take advantage of it. And Lord, we thank you for all these things in your precious and glorious name. Amen. amen. It has been said, or I guess it's a common way to determine if you want to figure out somebody's a person's values or their priorities, you look at two things. There's two documents you look at uh, to determine a person's true values, their true priorities. You look at their bank statement, right, because their bank statement will tell them what they spend their money on. And you also look at their calendar, because their calendar will tell you what they spend their time on and and we're going to talk a little bit about not about the money side of things that's actually coming a little later in luke where jesus has a lot to say about money and how we spend our money and what we invest it in but today we're going to talk a little bit more on the calendar side the time side what and i want you to think about it what if we looked at your calendar not just necessarily physically your calendar if you even keep one but but if we looked at and you we could view your weekly and daily routines what you actually did what you actually practiced every day every week on a regular basis what would it say about your values what would it say about your priorities as we continue our series in luke jesus has been calling disciples to himself he's calling a motley crew of of disciples they're not socially acceptable guys they're not guys who the the culture that time would set aside to be the primary disciples but he's called them to himself you guys are going to be my disciples and he's now starting starting last week but continuing to unpack what does it look like for somebody to respond to the call to be a disciple of his what does it mean to be a disciple of Christ and today as we're going to look through this one of the things that we're going to focus on is that Jesus is going to say and actually warn us that his disciples have to have the right priorities. Not simply say they have the priorities, but it's actually reflected in their life. In Luke 10, you've heard it read to us, it's actually a series of events, and there actually is a coherence to it. Luke, as he wrote this, just wasn't rambling, saying, hey, what could I write? He actually was thinking through what Jesus said and what Jesus did and put it in an order that ties it together. And sometimes we read it and we think there's just a bunch of different episodes and we go, we read it that way, but really it's, a lot of it's tied together. For example, he begins in verses 1 through 12. Jesus sends out the 72. He's already sent out the 12, but now he's gathered even more guys around them, more people around them. He pairs them up and he sends them off and he commissions them to go preach the gospel in different towns and different places and to heal people and, and to cast out demons. And he, he sets them up and they do that. They want to preach the kingdom of God and just demonstrate its power. So they uh, they get excited and they send off. And then Jesus, after he sends them, after he tells them the commissioning, there's a little parenthetical. There's a it's sandwiched between him sending them and them coming back. Jesus gives a warning, and in that warning, he, he he gives woes to unrepentant cities. Earlier in Luke, he had he had given woes as they're called. Woe to you! He had done that to the Jewish leaders. And he had done that to individuals. It, 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 it's, it, there's a consequence. There's a high cost to reject the message of the kingdom. And now Jesus sends these people, off, his disciples, off to villages and towns to preach the gospel, to preach the good news. And he, in there he says there's, there's, there's consequences. He says, and, uh, woe to you, woe to you, in verses 16, um, And um, and that section there, he's saying basically there are consequences for rejecting the message, not just as individuals, but what's actually even more startling is as whole communities. As whole communities, if you reject the gospel as a community, you're in trouble. It doesn't go unnoticed. And he says to them, he says, the one who hears you hears me, and the one who, who rejects you, those disciples preaching the gospel, they reject me. And they don't just reject me, but they reject the one who sent me who is god the father there are serious consequences for rejecting the message of the gospel and then the 72 come back and they're excited they, they're just out of out of their not out of their mind but they're just really really excited they come in they're a little i'm sure a little cautious heading out a little fearful i think we all would to be head out and do this message and to do these things and then they come back and And it did happen just like jesus said they preached the gospel people received the message they they healed the sick they cast out demons and they're just they're just really excited about this and that what's interesting to that jesus says that's great and he he describes what he saw but then he makes a little comment not a little he makes a comment in verse 20 he says even though you're excited about that and that's a good thing this is what preaching the kingdom is about he says nevertheless do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you but rejoice that your names are written in heaven it's sort of a little change of pace here instead of jesus saying instead of don't be so rejoicing and so happy about what you can do it's more important that you rejoice of what's been done for you okay what you do is important he's excited about that but what god has done for you is more important to rejoice in and So he goes on. And then, in fact, Jesus unpacks that. He goes in verses 21 through 24. Jesus stops and talks about this, about this whole idea of receiving and rejecting the gospel and what that means and who does and who doesn't. He says in verse 21, At the same hour, he, being Jesus, rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father. Let me just stop here. This is one of those lines that's easy to read over really quickly. Jesus, Jesus, the Son of God, In the Holy Spirit, is talking to God the Father. Here we have the Trinity, God and Father, Son, and Holy Spirit having a conversation. They're talking to each other. They're interrelating with each other, just like they did for eternity past. Even when Jesus was on earth, the three of them, on a regular basis, were connected and were talking and interacting about what's going on that communication that intimacy is something that's part it's part of god's nature in fact it's part of what it means to be made in the image of god having that sense of community and that intimacy particularly with god the creator so we need to continue he says lord heaven and earth um i thank you father lord of heaven and earth that you have you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children yes father for such was your gracious will God's will, gracious, undeserving will, is that the scholars, the leaders, the people who think they have it all together don't get the understanding, but those who are like little children, who are open and receptive, God graciously reveals to them the truth of the gospel. And then he goes on, verse 22, All these things have been handed to me To me by my father and no one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except the son and then at the end of verse 22 and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him how do we get to know god the father through christ and the ones that jesus decides to reveal the father to and then he goes on even more, and he turns to his disciples, and he says, um, in verse 23, "And turning to his disciples, he said to them privately, this, there's, a, there's a crowd around him, there's a, there's a lot of people responding to the gospel, he, hey guys, come on in here, huddle up. I want you to understand something. He says, blessed are yours eyes. Blessed. You, you guys get something here they don't get. Blessed are your eyes that they see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings have desired to see what you see, but did not see it, and hear what you hear, but did not hear it. So he is there extending them the huge privilege to see and understand. They are in the time of the Messiah, the time of the Christ, the time of the Savior, and they are are receiving this, and God graciously is revealing it to him, revealing it to them and and as i thought about this god's generosity to them how much more generous has he been to us we 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 sometimes go back and say hey it would have been great to walk and talk with jesus and be there when he does I, i'm not quite so sure in fact jesus says it's good for him to go away so that the holy spirit can come and be with us all and we also have our word, have this word. And sometimes we we think, well, we idealize. Well, that would be great to be around Jesus. And that, that, is a, that was a great privilege for them. But sometimes I think we even have a greater privilege, a greater honor. We have we have these. Well, this is the iPad. We don't all have these. Um, I meant to hold up a Bible. I have different versions of the Bible in here. Okay. Now, if the disciples had this, wow. Okay. This is my Bible. I'm trying to go electronic, so work with me here, okay? Um, And in 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 this Bible, use your imaginations, okay? It's not the holy iPad. It's the holy Bible. We have an opportunity to read and spend time with Jesus, with the power of the Holy Spirit and with the Father, anytime, anywhere, as often as we want. We don't just get the piece of what's happening right now, but we get what the prophets and the kings experienced. We get it even explained to us and unpacked for us and applied for us. That is a tremendous privilege that we have. Yet sometimes we overlook that. And then he goes on and tells the parable of the, of the Good Samaritan. Many people are familiar with this, this parable. And I just want to touch on a few things on it. We're not going to walk through this verse by verse, but just a few things. In the parable, in verses 25 through 37, there's a lawyer who stood up to test Jesus. Here we go again. Okay, yeah, you guys are really, your, your disciples are doing all this weirdo stuff, okay, all this gospel stuff. But I want, I want to challenge you, Jesus. So he says, hey, teacher, he says, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? and jesus says well you know jesus being the the, doesn't just answer he says well you tell me what do you think jesus often answered questions with answers and their response to his i said that wrong jesus often answered their questions with other questions and their response betrayed their perspective their view and jesus dealt with that not just the open question he knows he's trying to be trapped so he says what 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 do you think and and the lawyer says he says you shall love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbors yourself and jesus said great good he says uh, verse 28 you answered correctly do this and you will live go ahead and then we're told that the that the lawyer trying to design to justify himself okay realize he's backed into a corner uh, yeah, i gotta, I got to love God and love man. What do I do now? Oh, i don't know what i do. Hey, Jesus, who is my neighbor? Who, who is it that I'm... You know, can we be more specific? There's a lot of people. Who who am I supposed to be a neighbor to? How am I supposed to do that to their love? And um, and Jesus says, um, tells the parable of the good Samaritan. a guy's traveling. He's beat up and he's robbed. He's left for dead. A, a, a Levite and a... Um, Who's the other guy? Priest. A priest and Levite, both very religious, very uh, godly people, supposedly go out of their way to avoid the guy, and they go by him. But then a Samaritan, we lose some of the grit in the story. A Samaritan was ethnically, religiously, and socially anathema for uh, the Jews. He, he picked the worst guy he could have picked. They said, the Samaritan comes along, you know, the people you lawyers hate, He comes along and he takes care of the guy. Then Jesus turns the story around and says to the lawyer, which of these three do you think proved to be um, a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. Now, uh, what I want to highlight this, we're not going to unpack the whole thing, but what I want to highlight here is the lawyer asked the wrong question, Jesus said. The lawyer asked to justify himself, Who is my neighbor? What did Jesus say is the right question? Are you being a neighbor? Jesus says, it doesn't make a difference who's out there. The question of being loving your neighbor is, You, are you loving anybody in need? Pick from the choices. His disciples just went out and healed and cast out demons. You pick somebody But the question is not, who is my neighbor, who can I serve? It's, are you being a servant? And then what is interesting here, and what we're going to focus on more, is the end of this chapter. It's one of those sections of the the Bible, you're reading an account of two sisters who seem to have some sibling rivalry and have a spat. And yet, a big part of what Jesus wants to say to us is found in this incident, this event that happened. It's not a parable, it's something that happened. And Luke recounts the event in the life of Jesus, and, and after he tells the parable of the good, the Samaritan, he it says, your role as a disciple is to be a servant, he then tells us an account of two sisters, and he gives us a warning of the perils of being a servant. He warns us, he tells us, you need to be this, and then he tells us, watch out, because there are difficulties, there are perils. Per- perils if you do that doesn't make sense at first if we serve others in need like the good Samaritan and and we do a good thing serving Jesus is not saying don't serve don't help those in need however the account of Mary and Martha will warn us of the danger of service and that danger of service even if it's service that's good and honorable is that we get preoccupied with serving particularly serving people and worrying about what they think And in so doing, we either inadvertently or just neglectfully, we end up ignoring God. That's the peril. That's the warning. We can be so preoccupied with serving others and doing things that we ignore God in the process. And that's not what his intention is. In the in the parable of the, in the parable of the good Samaritan, the lawyer sa- he says, "What must I do to inherit good life?" and then he and Jesus says, "Well you tell me and he answers and Jesus says he answered correctly, what was his answer you are to you shall love the Lord your God with what all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, all your mind, and then secondly, love your neighbor as yourself Amen. and and then he gets diverted by saying Who, who's my neighbor and and like we said the question is not who's my neighbor you're being a servant jesus the question the lawyer did not ask is which i find very interesting he, he answered correctly love god with everything you have and also love your neighbor and then the lawyer says who's my neighbor what did he not ask what did he not ask? He, he diverted his attention to the neighbor. What did the lawyer not ask? I don't know about you, but if I'm faced with the commands to love God with everything I have, or love my neighbor, which one is a little more intimidating? I, I, I don't know about you guys, but to me, it's loving God. Okay? It's with everything I have. The lawyer ignored it. The lawyer just turned away and said, Hey, who's this neighbor person I'm supposed to be loving? And in the process of diverting his attention, he's ignoring God in the process. And it it says a lot there. Lawyer ignored what Jesus calls the first and greatest commandment. He minored on the minors. Yeah, you're supposed to serve others, but in so doing, lawyer and Samaritan and other people, we ignore God. That's the warning. The key aspect is that in choosing to serve others, we also have to choose to order our lives according to clear priorities. This is what Jesus is trying to say. Yes, we need to serve, but we need to make sure that they're ordered according to clear priorities, specifically our being connected with Christ. Now, the account of Mary and Martha is a vivid example of what it means to have our priorities out of order. It gives us two, two ways that our, our priorities are out of order, and that's what I want to focus on for the rest of the time. What is the warning of this account of Martha and Mary? What is it, what is it the warning of how do we know, it's going to tell us by this, how we know that our priorities are out of order in our life? The first one. He says, so this is my statement, which we're going to talk about first, the first statement. We we know our priorities are out of order when being a disciple of Jesus is a duty to be performed instead of a relationship to be pursued. We know our priorities are out of order when um, we view being a disciple of Jesus as a duty to be performed instead of a relationship to be pursued. Look at verse 38. If you're following along with me, I'm going to walk through these verses. Verse 38. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into, him into her house. Now, Martha demonstrated very generous hospitality. She, Jesus is traveling. He enters a village. He just said to guys, Hey, if, somebody, if you are welcomed into a home, go into that home. That's what he told us in 72. And now he's, he's, he's doing what he told them to do. And Martha receives them and she starts serving them. And this wasn't a little thing. Let's be fair to Martha. It's in the plural. They came. How, how would you like to have, now, we, whether it's the 72, the 12, we know there's a large group of people, they're out-of-towners, and they're all showing up for dinner. Okay? That's no little task, is it? Let's be fair to Martha here. That's not a little thing and she she's very generous she invites them in at great cost and expense to herself she's going to take care of these guys it's a lot of hard work and then it goes on in verse 39 and and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet instead of and and listened not instead of and listened to his teaching what Mary her sister did was to choose to be in close proximity to Jesus And she was attentive to what he was saying. And even in the hustle and bustle, even in the busyness of everybody being in the home, she never disconnected from listening to Jesus. She didn't didn't back away. She was focused and she, she did what she intended to do. Now, we're told in verse 40, but Martha was distracted by much serving. So we're told that Mary, her sister is in close proximity to jesus and very attentive to his teaching and then verse 40 but martha was distracted by much serving the word but is intentional it shows a contrast mary did this but in contrast to that martha did this okay you see that there the the and then martha was what distracted martha was distracted we're told the word distracted means being pulled away Being distracted is to be pulled away. It can mean sometimes something of being overburdened with something. It's something that's so overwhelming, we we lose control. She was distracted by many things. And, um, and, And she was distracted from what? What is she distracted from? Listening to Jesus. What is she distracted doing? Serving. Who is she serving? Jesus and the other people in the room. She wasn't doing anything immoral or, uh, or bad or she wasn't doing... She was doing what a good, somebody with good hospitality does. She was working really hard. But the contrast is Martha paid attention, but... I mean, excuse me, Mary paid attention, but Martha was distracted. She was pulled away from Christ and her serving. And it's not that the serving in and of itself is bad. It's just that she was going after secondary things. She gave up the primary thing deal with other things and here's that's the subtle uh deception of being distracted martha substituted a good thing for the best thing that's the distraction that's the power that's the deception of it. it wasn't that she was doing bad things she was doing good things but they weren't the best things and that kept her from the best things we read in verse, in verse 40 and she continues but Martha was distracted by much serving and she went up to him being Jesus and said Lord do you not care that my sister has left me to serve uh, to serve alone tell her to help me now being the dutiful servant that she is Martha takes decisive action okay she's not going to put up to with this and what does she do let's give Martha a little bit more credit she's not only not shy she's pretty bold okay martha publicly goes up and confronts who jesus okay she didn't talk to mary we don't know if they she's been coaxing mary calling mary but at this point she's had enough and she goes straight to jesus and she confronts him publicly we're never told to pull him aside she went up to him we're assuming everybody's still there and he's still dialoguing hey time out jesus we need to talk right now and and she has a lot of guts to do this doesn't she okay what you use the word you want to use i use guts i'm trying to be polite okay martha's confrontation shows three things martha's confrontation shows three things first of all martha accuses jesus of either being unaware or not caring either way she's pointing out that he is not being a good lord she begins lord Which means master you're not getting the job done you're not a very good master because your servants aren't doing what they're supposed to do she's accusing jesus of not caring and not being who he's supposed to be secondly martha accuses her sister of abandoning her that's important she accuses her sister in the in the statement of abandoning her not just that not just that mary was neglecting her responsibilities She didn't say that. What did she say? She left me alone. Jesus, this is about me, and Mary left me alone. The third thing her accusation, her statement to Jesus shows us, is that she demands that Jesus fix it, and he fix it her way. Right? Jesus, take care of this, and do it my way. Pretty bold woman. Must have been pretty obsessed, pretty upset, pretty distracted by doing a good work. Jesus responds to Martha's public confrontation in both gentleness, but yet some directness. We read this in verse 41. But the Lord answered him, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken from her. He begins, Jesus begins by saying, Martha, Martha. This is, this is it's a tender response. It's, it's a way of doing it endearing. I'm trying to, you know, I don't know if I can act it out. It's just, you know, Martha, Martha. He's, he's repeating it for emphasis. He's repeating her name for emphasis, gently responding to her, getting her attention. He says, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. He, he says, you are. He's talking to a person. He's saying, and he speaks to her heart. He, he ignores the issue of who and who is not getting things done. Secondary, okay? Jesus isn't worried about that, okay? Instead, he focuses on Martha's motivations and her resulting attitudes towards other people. And she, he says that she's anxious she's anxious she's out of control she feels that she's out of control she has worries she's full of worry and fear maybe maybe the fear of failure maybe the fear of being embarrassed of things not being the way they should be the fear of other people's opinions and her reputation there's a lot of reasons she could be anxious it just wouldn't get done and people would think less of her if jesus didn't eat and the people didn't have a good time at her house She's anxious. She's, she's feeling out of control. And he goes on and says, you are troubled. The word troubled is, means disorder because of stress. Luke uses it later in, in chapter 17 of Luke to talk about a mob who is agitated into chaos and ready for violence. They, they, were, they were troubled. They were out of control, ready to, to explode in violence. That's what she was. She was anxious and she was troubled to the point of expressing it, which is what she did. He says you are anxious and troubled about many things and then verse 42 but another contrast but one thing is necessary one thing is necessary and it's interesting he's contrasting here you're troubled next anxious about many things but let me bring you back to the priority martha there is just one thing you should be focused on he's contrasting the many and the anxiety and trouble, to the one that is necessary, this focus. Mary, you've um, excuse me, I keep saying Mary, Martha, you've lost your focus. Martha, your priorities are out of order. You are distracted from the one thing that is necessary because you're anxious about the many things that really are not. He says you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. What's that one thing? What would be that one thing that is necessary? Think back to what started this account. The lawyer asked Jesus, what must I do? And he said, well, you tell me. He said, what's the first and foremost thing you're supposed to be doing? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. That's the one thing. Martha wasn't doing that. Martha has been distracted. She had lost touch with that primary thing. In verse, in, in verse 40, we, um, we, had, we see verse 42, the second half of it, we see that Mary has chosen the good portion uh, and it will not be taken away from her. She has chosen. What did Mary choose? What did Mary choose? She just chose to sit and listen to Jesus. That's all she chose. Um, Mary had chosen correctly, and then she acted. This is important. Mary made a decision, and then she acted on that decision and stayed with it. Martha also made a decision, and Martha also acted on her decision. The problem is she chose poorly, and therefore she acted incorrectly. And that's what Jesus... Martha had substituted many things for the one good thing. As we were reading through Luke, preparing for this series, we as the elders and reading through it multiple times, just getting to saturate ourselves with Luke, there's as a, when I read through Luke chapter five, there's a passage there, two couple verses that just grabbed my attention and as I was preparing the sermon, I kept going back to that, that Jesus himself, we already seen that Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Father spent a lot of time communicating. An example of that in this passage already in Luke ten. But in Luke chapter 5, something that just has always struck me as odd, probably because I have trouble with it, and, and, and this is, let me just read it to you. In, in Luke 5, Jesus is beginning his ministry, and he, he's just knocking it out of the park. He says in verse 15 of chapter 5, But now even more of the report of him, Jesus, went abroad, and great crowds gathered to hear him, and he healed them of their, of their infirmities. That sets the stage. Jesus begins his ministry, and he knocks it out of the park. His fame is spreading abroad, widely. Not only that, people are making long treks to come to him. Great crowds are coming to him. And and he's healing their diseases. He's preaching the gospel. He's sharing with them. And then there's verse 16. Verse 16 says, and it begins with, guess what word? But another contrast jesus is knocking it out of the park drawing crowds is becoming famous luke says in verse chapter 5 verse 16 but he jesus would withdraw to desert places and pray what's up with that seriously i mean the crowds are pouring in you got to go with the momentum right? This is the part I'm having trouble with, okay? You got to go with the momentum, Jesus, okay? You need to work on this church growth thing a little bit better. You need, to, you need to push, take advantages of the numbers when you got them, make your fame spread more. But we're told, Luke specifically says, but Jesus would withdraw to desolate places. What's desolate? Barren, empty, nobody's around, and talk to the Father with the Holy Spirit and in the way it's word is he would withdraw it's a frequent practice he did this all the time oh wait there's thousands of people coming Oh, time to go gotta go gotta go talk to the father and the holy spirit and then he would pray he would focus on that communication with the father and the holy spirit so my reason for bringing this up is this is the way Jesus lived his life Jesus is calling us to be disciples of him well how does he live his life in communion with the Father and within the Holy Spirit. He's the one who did this. In the busyness of life and success of ministry, he came to bring the kingdom in the busyness of bringing the kingdom. Time out. I need to spend time with the Father and, and the Holy Spirit. And he would do that over and over and over again. And he says to his disciples, hey, you want to be my disciple? You want to respond to the call? Hey, you need to go serve and preach the gospel and bring the kingdom and heal the sick and cast out demons. And oh, but make sure you don't lose sight of the priority of spending time with the Father and the Holy Spirit, and communicating and interacting with them. We know that we our priorities are out of order when of when, uh, being a disciple of Jesus. When it, it's a duty to be formed, performed instead of a relationship to pursued. Remember that, the, that, that relationship of, of loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Both of these commands really are not duties to be performed. They are relationships to be pursued. To love God and love our neighbors, it's not about the doing. It's about the interaction. It's about the love that expresses. That's a relational word. That's a relational concept. We often mistake loving God and loving people with actions that we have to do, things that we have to perform, duties we must do for them and with them. And in so we can miss the relational closeness that God intended in those great commands. And like the lawyer, we naturally say, it's a natural bent of our sinful nature to say, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? The question itself betrayed a work ethic on his part. And, and we, we, well, however we answer that question, however we do it, what must I do to have eternal life? What must I do to love God and love my neighbor? What must I do? in every however you answer that question, if that is the ethic, that is the priority you have, we, we will always end up with do more, be better, try harder. We always more. It's not enough. I, I, I get anxious. I get, I get troubled because there's, there's always more to do. There's always more to do for God, always more to do for other people. We never get through it. And we, like Martha, become anxious and troubled about many things. You pick. You know what you're troubled and anxious about. And and what's true for me might not be for you or for somebody else. But those many things distract us from the primary thing of the relationship to pursue of loving God and in light of that, loving other people. And, And the important part to remember this is that the duty performed has already been performed by Jesus. There is no duty for us to perform. Because Christ has already done that, he has already lived the life that we should live, He died to death that we should we should have died, and he 's given us the opportunity he 's removed the barrier of hostility between us and God, therefore, we are free to love God with everything we have there 's no barrier between we 're the barrier when we refuse to do that it 's not on god 's part; He has freed us up to do that, we are reconciled to him and not and uh he and that command to love god and love others jesus did that perfectly so that we don't have to and as we move towards those relationships, we learn from him and he enables us and He removes the barriers and we can draw closer to him not only um not only in when we struggle with our failures of loving God and our neighbor but we we think about love differently in light of the gospel we, again, think of love God, love our neighbor as things we have to do. But that's not what the Scripture tells That's not what the Gospel is. The Gospel is, he, Jesus, uh, Paul tells us in, in 2 Corinthians 5 that for our sake, He, God the Father, made Him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. Jesus didn't know any sin. He loved perfectly. He loved everybody perfectly. And then, and then, but God said, you know what? I'm sending you and I'm going to make, take all their sin, and I'm going to put it on you, and you're going to die for that sin. Because they're not going to be able to love me at all, much less perfectly. And he says that he, for his sake he made him who knew no sin to be sin. Why? So that we might become the righteousness of God so that we become the righteousness of God. It's not simply that we have a break in relationship and we deserve God's wrath, which we do, and punishment, and then therefore God just removes that. God does in Christ through the gospel does more. He now makes us not only uh, removes that and we can be reconciled to God, but he also gives us Christ's righteousness. We are right with God because of what Christ is. He looks at us, he sees Christ's righteousness who Christ was. We are accepted because of what Christ, to God because of what Christ has done. We are secure, we are significant because of what Christ has done. There's nothing we can do or not do that would make us less righteous, less acceptable, less secure, and less significant. It's not about what we've done. It's what Christ has done for us. And in the freedom of that, we get to love God. We get to love our neighbors. And when we understand that God demonstrated His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, and then the reciprocal of that is that at the same time, we are told in the Scriptures that we love, why? Because He first loved us. When we struggle with loving God and loving our neighbor, especially with loving our neighbor, The focus isn't do more be better try harder the focus is i need to we need to understand how did god love us we love because he first loved us when we understand his love we'll want to love we'll be freed to love other god and his other people and when we blow it which we will you know we will it says love love the lord your god with all your heart all your soul all your mind all your strength haven't done it yet how about you guys okay well, the response is, you know what, Lord, I blew it today. I blew it this minute, whatever. And the only response is the same response to the gospel, repentance and faith. God, I blew it. But it's okay, not, it's not okay that I blew it, but it's okay, I'm not rejected, I'm not less loved, because you, what you have done, you've died for me, and now, you know what, I'm going to trust in your promises, that what you say is true, that you're working in me, and I'm going to continue going. I'm going to try again. I'm going to try to love that unlovable person again. I'm going to try to love you more uh, in more aspects of my life again because you're drawing me to yourself. You're revealing me to yourself. Remember earlier in Luke, Jesus said, why, who does he reveal himself to? Those who are like little children who are, who are open and honest and able to receive. You receive, respond in repentance and faith, and you receive it, you get more understanding of Christ, not less. He, in his love for us, when we blow it, he doesn't withhold, I'm going to punish you. He actually says, you know what? I'm going to give you more so you can understand through the pain and your difficulty of suffering and in rebellion, you're going to know more about me. That's how the gospel is. It's not about us a duty to be performed; It's a relationship to be pursued. This Mary and Martha episode, also incident, also teaches us another warning. We know our priorities are out of order Of when being we know our priorities are out of order when being a disciple is an inconvenience to be avoided instead of a privilege to be embraced. We know that our priorities are out of order when being a disciple is an inconvenience to be avoided instead of a privilege to be embraced. Go back to verse 39. Back to 39. It says about this, And she, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to her teaching. Mary, and so we, this statement is really quick to, to read over, and it's a positive statement. The warning is this is what Mary did, and she's commended for it. Mary sat herself down. Mary paid attention. Mary took initiative. Mary was persistent, even in the midst of the chaos of the household, in staying focused on Jesus. Mary was not, and, and one of the things we miss here in some of this, is that Mary was not a likely person to be in that situation. First of all, she was a woman. Women weren't disciples. Women didn't learn. Women weren't educated. And, and yet she sat at his feet. She moved up front. She sat in the front row. And Jesus let her sit in the front row. He was glad she's in the front row. Not only that, she was uneducated. She didn't have a background. And she didn't, she, she had no, there, she had all the excuses in the world. She had responsibilities in the household. She had all the excuses. She would never have been condemned for not being there. She put away all those cultural and ethnic and social th- hindrances and said, No excuse. I'm going to connect with Jesus, and this is where I'm going to be. Mary, it says in verse 42b, at the, end, at the second half of verse 42, Mary has chosen the good por- portion. Jesus said in his reply to Martha, your sister Mary chose to be here. She chose this, Martha, implying, Martha, you didn't choose this. And the chosen means, again, taking initiative, being deliberate, being decisive, taking action. Um, and something that's also not really super obvious, unless we think about it, is in Mary choosing, choosing to be, sit at Jesus' feet and listening to him, what is he choosing not to do? everything else. To choose the primary thing means you're not doing everything else at that time. We, we sometimes struggle with that. We weigh well, we gotta balance these out. No. The primary thing is the primary thing. That priority is a priority. The focus is the focus. And in doing that one thing, you're not doing everything else. And by the way, what was Martha thinking that Mary was doing? what what did what was martha's view what is she's looking at mary what is martha saying mary is doing nothing she's not helping right she's she's doing nothing useful she's just listening to jesus what's up with that i gotta go talk to jesus about this okay and he lets her okay sometimes we we struggle with that that sometimes the priority doing the priority thing jesus draws a crowd and then leaves to talk to the father what's up with that it's the same thing what's what's he doing he's not doing anything he's supposed to be out here with the crowds no he's doing the most important thing as i thought about this and i worked through this what what keeps us why do we struggle with these things why do we struggle with being martha's and mary's so much and and I'm sure if we spent the time, we can come up with a whole bunch of ideas. And You can share from your experiences, I can share from mine. But as I thought, I just want to summarize two things that I think, in general, keep us from being focused on that primary thing. The first one is, the two, first primary reason is what is called the tyranny of the urgent. The tyranny of the urgent. This is the compulsion that we have that the bus- in the busyness of life, The urgent things, the urgent demands, the schedules, the things we just got to get done, keep us from the important thing. They distract us from the important things. Like Martha, we're distracted by many things. It doesn't make a difference in the tyranny urgent what it is. Your job, your school, your family, your health. We can list all sorts of good things... And in the urgency of having to get those things done and get them in the schedule and not letting people down and not upsetting people, we don't have time for Jesus. We don't have time for God. That's the draw. That's the peril, the tyranny of the urgent. It's not that we reject Jesus in the tyranny of the urgent, It's that we neglect Jesus. We don't re- outright reject Him. We just neglect Him. We yield to the tyranny of the urgent instead of responding to the call of the important. In your seats, and if you didn't, you're not sitting on one, there, there's drop, pick from one of the seats around you, and I'd like everyone to have one of these. This is a well-known booklet by a guy named Charles Hummel who talked about, and he coined, to my knowledge, coined the phrase, the tyranny of the urgent. You can read this on your own. There's a little, to get you thinking, there's a little... Uh, thought guide on the inside of that it's well worth reading it's only four pages and he outlines this peril of the tyranny of the urgent in great depth i encourage you to read that the second the second thing i think that the second hindrance why we struggle with being mary and marthas is is just basically complacency just just not just be truthful the struggles i struggle with and i bet you many of you struggle with is just plain old complacency Martha struggled because she was troubled by many things. But, but many of us struggle because we don't want to be troubled at all. We, we just don't want to be troubled. We don't want to be bothered at all. The issue is complacency. The issue is apathy. Um, and, and the point here is that not, it's not that we're not Martha's. It's that, it's that we're not Mary's either. We're not taking initiative. We're not pursuing Jesus. We're not willing to take that. What does it take persistently to be with Jesus? We don't want to bother. There's an inconvenience of being a disciple. The word disciple means disciplined learner. It takes discipline to learn to follow Jesus. I don't know about you, but I don't like the D word. Okay? Discipline. It's hard work. It's inconvenient. And because of that, many of us don't bother There's so many other things we can do instead that are much more enjoyable, easier to do. A number of years ago, um, I was in a small group in a home community, and we were studying the parable of the treasures in the field. And um, and, and in the parable of the treasure, it says, The kingdom of heaven is, and this is Jesus saying this, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And in our study we were going through and we spent probably a good half hour talking about how hard it is to give things up for jesus no lie we were just going on and on about the difficulties of what it means to follow jesus and what we give and what it means to sell a field and just on and on woe is us okay being being a christian is just really hard work and there's a guy sitting there for about most of the time didn't say much and finally says i, I don't think we're understanding this parable." He goes, let me just look at it. The guy finds a treasure. He finds a treasure. So what does he joy? It says specifically, in his joy. The guy's like, I'm rich. This is awesome. Did he have trouble selling all that he had? No. He had great joy. He sold all that he had and bought that field. We missed it. Because we're so into, woe is us. This is how hard it is to be a Christian. One of the struggles, the reasons we're not Mary's, we're not acting like Mary's, is we don't have a treasure. The gospel, we take it for granted, I think, sometimes. It's so familiar sometimes to us, we don't treat it as a treasure of extreme value. If we did, we would be willing to sell those fields to get that treasure, it wouldn't be inconvenient it wasn't inconvenient for the guy in the parable to get rid of everything so he can get that thing that was more valuable and i struggle with that in my life probably more, not more than anything else but a lot is do i really value the truth of the gospel the generosity of god to us in christ and if i'm whining and complaining about my life one of the things i need to go back to is maybe i'm not really seeing this as a treasure to give up everything else to get, because I should have great joy in getting that treasure. Does anybody else struggle with that? I struggle with that a lot. The, both the tyranny of the urgent and the complacency issues are basically a lack of having clear priorities, and then not not ordering our lives around those priorities. Just really quickly, I want to give you some practical things, and then I'm going to going to close up and 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 so how do we connect we, we don't have jesus we can't sit at his feet literally we can't do that so what do we do to, to connect with jesus more and do those things better there's a number of things we can do the first one obviously is to read your bible whether it's on an ipad okay if you don't have a bible we give them away we've given away cases of bibles because we want you to have it and, and but it doesn't do you any good any of us any good sitting on our shelves sitting by a nightstand it's meant to be read and God will honor that and work through that. We recommend the ESV. You can pick any translation, but we recommend the English Standard Version. Um, and if you want one, you can go take one. Um, we even in the, think it's so important that we even in the flyer every week pr- produce a reading schedule. I'm not sure what to read today. Look in your flyer. it tell you what to read. Okay? And there's a sequence, a scope and sequence to that. We also recommend if you're going to study a little bit more, you don't have to get uh, 600 commentaries or things. Get an ESV study Bible. There is more wisdom and knowledge about the Bible packed into this than pastors used to have in their entire libraries. It's unbelievable. The notes are worth it. Yes, you might have to spend 40 bucks. You don't need super-duper double-deluxe cowhide. It's only 25 Okay, it's coming down in price, okay? 25 I got it free on my iPad. I downloaded it free. Okay, not the not the study Bible, the Bible. The study Bible you actually have to pay for. A lot of time and effort went into it. You know, so I am not going to pay 25 bucks for a Bible. That's kind of a lot. Well, just compare that to the Starbucks and the beers you buy during the week and see if you can come up with 25 bucks. Okay? Yeah. Hey. Now you're meddling. Okay? <laughs> How about prayer? We're supposed to spend time prayer. What what the very next thing that Jesus does after Mary and Martha, we're account, we account we have an account of that the disciples come to Jesus and say, teach us to pray. Oh, we, we understand this priority thing? We're supposed to pray? Uh, we don't know how. Teach us. He teaches them what we know is the Lord's Prayer and so we need to learn to pray we've promoted this in you know, that we've had workshops we've been preaching on it we've promoted it this is this is the workshop the handout for the workshop we did it's online it's a pdf on our website under resources free anybody who wants no i get this i'm not quite sure you want to sit down with me or somebody to walk through this i'd be happy to do that with you learning to pray is important we recommend books and things like this praying backwards Praying backwards means instead of ending our prayers in Jesus' name, we begin our prayers in Jesus' name. This is what it means to pray. These resources are easily accessible. There are other things that we can do is participation in home communities and in our gatherings together. Now, wait a second. How is that sitting at Jesus' feet? Well, in the Word of God, because we have the Word of God together and the Holy Spirit with us, for example, in... Colossians, Paul tells the church, them together as a group of body, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom. As the word of God dwells in us, God expects us to interact about it. That's how we sit at Jesus' feet. One of the ways we sit at Jesus' feet. And read gospel-centered books. We have a list on our website of books that we have vetted, we think are important to read. And there's a number of them. We, they're, and they're, here I am selling the easiness Lack of Inconvenience to You, uh, Living Across cross Life by C.J. Mahaney. It's not very long and it's an easy read, but it's a very powerful book. Something we can, you can read. Fifty Reasons Jesus Came to Die by John Piper. I've plugged this a number of times here. Look it. Two pages per chapter. That's it. How inconvenient does that have to be? I'm making a sales pitch here. Now, think about it this way. Think about it this way. You could sit down, prayerfully read a couple pages and have a conversation with Jesus 50 times about why he died for you. 50 times you can have a conversation with Jesus about why he died for you. Those are conversations worth having. Not only in the book form, but Piper, dozens of Piper's books are free online. You don't even have to pay for them. The link is on our website under resources in the book section. You can go there and download. I've downloaded dozens of them and I read them when I can. That one I've read a number of times. Read them. Many people say I'm not a reader. Okay, you're not a reader. Then listen to a book. Listen to those things. For many of us, when we struggle with things like reading our Bible and praying and being together in home community and speaking the word to each other or reading, turning off Netflix and turning off Facebook and actually spending some time reading God-centered books, gospel-centered books, for most of us, if I can be honest, the question is not, can I? The question is, will I do that? It's a matter of the heart. And by the way, this is not just true for individuals. This is true for churches. This whole thing, this being centered on the truth and loving God and loving our neighbors is something that churches are supposed to be doing. Churches can also get confused and get their priorities out of whack and get distracted into doing all sorts of other things. Performing duties and the complacency that happens of just the routine of church and stuff or the tyranny of the urgent. And many churches... Um, we, we as churches, let me just say it in a positive must be deliberate at being connected to Christ through His Word and through prayer and not get distracted by the 100 other good things that we could be doing as a church. We must guard against that constant pull to lesser things. The early church did this in Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to what? The apostles' teaching, the Word of God, to the fellowship interacting with each other to the breaking of bread probably meals with communion reminding them of the death of christ and the prayers not prayer the prayers probably the times of prayer they prayed together they devoted themselves to these things and in acts chapter six we read that there's a real situation the church is growing and A complaint was raised against the church from within the church. The complaint was that the Hellenistic Jews, the Hellenistic widows, the Greek widows, were being overlooked in the day of the distribution of food by the Hebrew guys ministering to that. This is not just a logistical issue. This is a racial issue. And there's a problem here. This needs to be addressed. And the apostle says, you're right. This is a big deal. We need to address this. But their response is very telling. Their response is, it is not right for us that we should give up preaching the word to serve tables. They're not saying serving tables is not important. It is important. In fact, they then say, here are the qualifications for a person to go and serve those tables. We know them as deacons. These are the qualifications. We're going to turn this. And then he goes on and says, but we will, what? Devote ourselves to prayer and ministry of the word, and we'll turn this over to them. So, the reason I bring that up was, is that even in the leadership of the church in the early church, real problems arise, real things need to be addressed, and I said, that's important, but as a group, as a whole, we cannot neglect prayer and the ministry of the Word. Somebody else is going to have to pull up the slack so that we can make sure that the Word and prayer stays first and foremost in our being. And then we're told in verse 17, what, what happened? What resulted from this scandalous event happened in the, prior, the priority of the word in prayer? It says that the word became, continued to increase. The word spread. The gospel spread. And a, number, and a number of disciples multiplied greatly. And then a little comment. And a great many of priests became obedient to the faith. The priests who opposed Christ to his faith, many of them became obedient to the faith because they kept as a church the eye on the word and prayer and they weren't going to let those suffer. We at Red Sea have made that a big deal. We have as our mission draw to Christ, develop in community, deploy to culture. They're interacted, but the draw to Christ is intentional. That's an emphasis on the Word of God. It's an emphasis on prayer. We talk about it being the me and the we. Our, our mission is me. I need to draw to Christ. I need to develop a community. I need to deploy to culture. But it's also we. We as a church need to do those things. Therefore, we as a church are going to make the Word and prayer primary, and we are not going to come up with this long menu of all these different activities we can do that would distract us. It's not that they would necessarily be wrong. But too many things will distract us from the primary things. So therefore, we have intentionally resisted having all sorts of programs that get requested. Let's keep our eye on the ball. We're going to draw to Christ. We're going to de- develop in community, primarily through home communities, and we're going to deploy to culture. Some of that is through you and your lives individually, and some of that is through us together as a community. That's what we're about, because we, this keeping this thing things priority. Mary, we are told in verse 42, chose the good portion. Kind of an odd phrase. She chose the good portion. Portion alludes to food. Alludes to a meal. Martha, you're running around preparing this big banquet for all of us, and yet Mary chose the good meal. You didn't. In Luke, earlier in Luke chapter 4, when Jesus was being tempted by Satan... And Satan, Jesus hadn't eaten for 40 days. You think he's hungry? He's hungry. And, and Satan comes to him, and one of the temptations is, is Satan says, you're the, if you're the son of God, command these stones to be bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not be live by bread alone. What Jesus was doing was quoting, and Satan knew it, Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. And in Deuteronomy 8, it says this, And he, God, humbled you, telling the nation of Israel, he'd brought them out of the land of Egypt, he'd freed them from slavery, greatly re- with the redemption through the power of God, had freed them up and taken them out of there. They had crossed the what? Red Sea. A metaphor for the gospel. A little plug there, by the way, okay? They crossed the Red Sea, and they're in a the desert, and he's reminding them of something. He says this, And he humbled you, and let, and, and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know. Remember? They like, what is this stuff? They'd never seen it before. God gave it to them. They didn't have to do anything but collect it. Nor did your fathers know. Nobody had ever seen it before. And then he goes on. And he, met, he that, the word that, this is the purpose, he, God, might make you know that man does not live by bread alone but he lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. In that Deuteronomy 8, he's saying, God is the one who provides for you physically and spiritually. And then he also laid out there, what's your priorities as a nation, as an individual? When Satan tempted Jesus, what's the priority? If you're faced between meal and the Word of God, Jesus says, Take the word of God. Give up the meal. And then he goes, and then in, later in Jesus' life, we'll see this in the coming months, he comes and he has a meal with his disciples just before he's crucified. It's, the, it's a celebration of the Passover, again back to Deuteronomy, a celebration of his deliverance, the deliverance of the nation of Israel from Egypt. And he takes the bread and he breaks it and says, This is my body broken for you. He takes the wine and says, This is my blood spilt for you. Remember, we're supposed to remember his death and proclaim and talk about his death until he comes. We celebrate the Lord's Supper every week because the Christ told us to celebrate it every week. But we also did in his wisdom reminds ourselves this is that good portion. This is what Mary held on to she was being reminded, we are reminded of what she pursued, that relationship she pursued, that she, of, of being accepted by God and secure and significant in Christ. And just like Mary said to Martha, he said, and, and with this I close, he said, and, and the Lord said to her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. And many of you here today may be anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen that thing, and it will not be taken from her. As you come to communion, think of the things that distract you from Christ. Think about the things that you are anxious and troubled about, and then realize that Christ has already provided for you the one thing that is necessary, the forgiveness and reconciliation to God, and the joy that comes to us through that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your generosity. We thank you for your patience. We thank you for you're a God who loves and in that love demonstrates the kindness and mercy and grace that we get through Christ. Lord, I pray that we would not hear through this word a work ethic. We need to ha- try harder. I pray, Lord, that we would hear You calling us to Yourself, You revealing Yourself to us in Christ. And we, like little children, open and honest and receptive, can receive that Word and receive that relationship we have with You. Lord, I pray for those who are here may be anxious and troubled, that, Lord, that they can learn of the grace and mercy that generously you have provided for them and promised to them as as they bring that to you and lay it at your feet. I pray for all of us, Lord, that we can be focused on priorities, not out of a work ethic, but out of a love relationship that we would pursue with you. And, Lord, even more than that, I pray that we, through the work of your Spirit, through the work of your Word, would understand even more your love for us, the generosity and the power and the awesomeness and the treasure of your love for us. And we thank you, Lord, in your precious and glorious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at redseachurch.org.